0: Welcome to Geeks of Grimdark, your home for everything Warhammer. Be they Elves or Eldar, Space Marines or Stormcast, we've got you covered. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... his S.H.I.E.L.D. Brother, Actually, Right. and I have kind of given up on
1: trying to get orcs into that intro, but... Might, I might come
0: back and push it more later. So, All right, let's continue rolling on ahead by thanking the people that give us money to talk about these things. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Markey, Chris Shipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D., Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Aindu, and John Vinnels. Now, if you'd like to join the illustrious Legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswithshields. 25 cents an episode gets you all sorts of great bonus content and keeps lights on around here.
1: Yeah, it's actually uh, less than 25 cents an episode at this point, since we put out, like, we've got, like, three shows concurrently, kind of,
0: so. Yeah, but there's 25 episodes, or 25, or four episodes that get released consistently week to week, or month I to month. I guess, we should
1: say minimum 25, uh, or uh, minimum value is 25 cents an episode. You might get more
0: value. There you go. <laughs> All right, we're diving into the fantasy world today with uh, this week's special guest. Yeah, special guest. to introduce yourself.
2: Oh, there. I'm Lord Master of Sotech. You may have heard of me if you're big into uh, the Warhammer lore YouTube space or the Total War game and you watch like the live streams and stuff. You may have seen me here and there. Um, but I, um, while trying to not sound like a complete jerk, will carefully state that i am i am the living i am the person that knows the most about warhammer fantasy as long as you don't go back before sixth edition which means anything before the year like 20
1: 2008 don't ask me <laughs> but and anything man, after that it's all it, good is it weird that when i think about like uh the scribe for a, a fan like a fandom i always compare to vati video i don't know why he's just like my bar so it's like it's like you're the vati video of Fantasy I,
2: I I kid you not, when I uh started doing this, the uh one of the biggest things about it was I was watching Vati Vidya and I was like, I wanna be that for Warhammer Fantasy. Like that was that was always the mission statement. That is <laughs> a legi-
1: that's a legitimate goal. Like I think that's perfectly for li- perfectly fair. <laughs>
2: I, I still don't have the the buttery voice and accent yet, but you know maybe maybe I magically will attain that once I hit like a certain amount of subs or something.
0: <laughs> it just or, shows up on your doorstep.
1: Suddenly you sound buttery. <laughs> also, we've actually had uh, Sotek on our show before. I don't. We were just talking about Age of Sigmar in general, or well, where are my Fantasy uh, in general. I don't remember. I, I want to say last time we we were just
2: talking about like our favorite our favorite fictional uh, universe, uh, universe. Ah.
0: That could stuff. have been it. It was I mean, it was a while ago. I was like, wait season one, maybe two. I remember talking about Blood Bowl at one point. So <laughs> we've done a lot of episodes,
1: folks. Anyway, so point is on, on this show, Geese of Grimdark, which we kind of made because originally we we put out this thing. It's like, hey, who wants to come chat with us about Warhammer-related stuff? And then we got people who actually responded. So we're like, all right, we're gonna make another show just to go, you know, give all these guests time to do things. So this is mostly a guest show. Driven thing, uh, I, well, kind of comparatively. So, uh, so, so, Tech. Why don't you like introduce the specific kind of topic we're talking about today?
2: Oh, okay. So, um, today, uh, if I recall correctly, we're going to be talking uh, about Warhammer Fantasy, but focusing on my, of course, uh, ace in the hole, so to speak, or my my OG fandom, which is the Lizardmen.
0: Yeah, and uh, just to kind of start give a brief overview to people that don't know fantasy because it's well before war, uh, total war i think it was kind of a forgotten franchise for a lot of people and definitely in comparison to 40k well, so people know, are stumbling in new to this what is fantasy well, the
1: thing is even even our listeners uh, who have followed us are mostly exposed to 40k stuff here i admit i am starting to put my toes into the fantasy thing, I need I need an army to latch onto, and right now I'm really struggling between like gloomspite gets and the the tree people are really cool, but I don't know. Point is, we don't talk fantasy much here, but we're gonna get more into it soon. So yes, o- overview. <laughs> All right, so
2: oh gosh, uh, to do this <laughs> to do this without it turning into like a college lecture, um, I I would say the most reliable description for Warhammer Fantasy is that it is. So Warhammer Fantasy is the OG, right? It's the granddaddy. Like, even even 40K is something that sprouted out of fantasy. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the first big daddy for Games Workshop. And essentially what it is, is it is a... I like to refer to it as the fantasy crossroad. So it's basically where every single type of genre or universe that had any kind of following in fantasy met up and left a little piece of themselves behind before carrying onwards. Mm. So and but and that's what I love about it. It's not a universe where you're gonna find like a bunch of completely original ideas. It's a original universe in that it takes a bunch of familiar ideas and puts them in the same place and they fight to the death. I'd be
1: curious to know where the Skaven came from originally. Then that's probably an interesting story. So. Oh, yeah,
2: <laughs> well, the Skaven are probably the most original thing to Warhammer. I, I, but I to my vague recollection there's something they're technically based on but um and of course it's not just fantasy though it's also real world history mixed in there um so the Warhammer fantasy universe is essentially if you took our planet um with all of our geography and then you added atlantis because you have to have that if you're going to do a fantasy universe based on earth so you throw atlantis in there between um the western eastern hemisphere and then Basically, every nation is based on a real-world nation with some kind of big fantasy gimmick. And they all live and battle in a contemporary time. So instead of the Aztecs or the Native Americans or a lot of those really ancient uh, tribal groups you found in North America and South America, you have the Lizardmen. Who are all about those Aztecian or Native American themes, but they're also dinosaur people with access to beyond space age technology, but they don't remember exactly how it works. So to them, it's more like a religious machine that shoots out
1: giant laser beams and stuff. Then you
0: have great segue. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah. I didn't expect that at all. So okay. Yeah.
2: So like you have all these different things, like the and it's of course it's from a British company's point of view. So like North America is. Like slave age um, United States, but like comically overdone, <laughs> and with like super upper uh, British aristocracy personalities on top of being like hardcore slavers, and they're just like the worst. Or you got Ulthon, which are all the super posh British people that are super arrogant, believe they're the only ones protecting the world when in reality they're not. Um, but they think everyone's lesser than them. Or you have the Greenskins, who are all these wild, roving bands of—they uh, were based on European soccer fans, so they're just like completely out of their minds and are just <laughs> super hyped up all the time. But but within that, what about the tree um, people?
1: Sidebar, just because so I love their designs. So. Yeah.
2: The, so the the tree spirits are part of the Wood Elf faction. Um, which live in Athel Loren, and that's, like, this magical forest realm that's very much based on um, fey literature and mythology from, like, ancient Europe. So, like, they have, like, they have, like, these little sprites and fey creatures, and the trees are actually alive, and there's nature spirits, but it's, like, the legit scary kind. Not They're not helpful. They'll, like like, lure you into the forest and then rip you apart and, like, you know, decorate you over the branches you know so yeah like the original celtic fae stories yeah yeah so they're <laughs> very much that but you know but then they tie it into something else so while you have like these high elves on the atlantis ulthuan who are um you know in a mysterious land to the west of the main setting which is the old world and they're very much based on these really arrogant uh, british aristocracy at the same time they're tolkien's elves like, they're based on the Tolkien-Elf mythos, but they're also mixed in with Roman mythology. Um, so, like, there's yeah. these weird set of crossroads to create them. While the Wood Elves are Tolkien's, like, forest elves from, like, The Hobbit and stuff like that, but they're also mixed with those really scary ancient fey from really, really ancient European history. Or you have the dwarves who are Tolkien's dwarves, but take dialed up to 11 in that they're just, like, super racist, angry (laughs) guy that never let go of a grudge, ever. Aren't they they steampunky now, too? Uh, They are in Age of Sigmar. So this is also a note worth making, is that Age of Sigmar and Fantasy are two very distinct settings. Okay. Fantasy is basically to Age of Sigmar what the Horus Heresy is to 40k. So Fantasy is Age of Sigmar, or I'll put it the actual way. Age of Sigmar is like thousands tens of thousands if not millions of years in the future like the okay. warhammer fantasy world was destroyed in an event called the end times so the warhammer fantasy world like the dark gods unleashed everything they had and it was a giant am i allowed to curse on this show yes yes you <laughs> okay. are it was it was like a big clusterfuck where like everybody was like going all in and it was just madness and you know- the world ended up exploding in the end
1: you know, I've heard and I've seen several like other content creators make side mentions about the uh, the the shit show uh, that was the response to Age of Sigmar, and now that hearing what hearing that, I I think I can get why.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the, what I'll say. A lot of people that hate Age of Sigmar have never read Age of Sigmar, like they've never interacted with it. Oh. Their relationship with it is that they loved Warhammer Fantasy, and then Fantasy got killed off. And the components, it blew up like a supernova, and all of that crazy gas and stuff that was thrown into space recollected, and that's Age of Sigmar. So Mm -hmm. it's the fantasy world got annihilated and remade into something new. I'll
0: admit, it took me a while to warm up to Age of Sigmar, because it did not launch as strong as it could have. But that is a topic we will go into when we talk Age of Sigmar and that whole thing. Let's bring this back to old fantasy and all the goodness therein that lies. All right. right. All right. So uh, since we, we got here, because folks, that was an overview. We can do tons and tons and tons of content on fantasy. Hopefully, this will get support, and we can. So well, let's bring it back.
1: Go I ahead. was going to say, I feel like Games Workshop properties in general are so vast in my limited experience that that's a... A lot of potential content
0: if there's interest. <laughs> yes. So, so, Lizardmen, giant Aztec dinosaurs. Right. So, leaning into the actual, focusing on the Lizardmen,
2: they're my, so they're my favorite faction. They're the faction I grew up with as a kid. Uh, so the Lizardmen, the big idea behind them is that when the Warhammer Fantasy world was, its very beginnings are that it was this primordial ice planet you know it was completely covered in ice except for the equator had like a thin warm region around it where there were some primordial jungles and the world was dominated by ancient horrors and dragons and dragon ogres and unspeakable nightmares um and everything was generally considered a bad time if you weren't like a mountain-sized monster that was fighting for domination and then the old ones showed up and the old ones are this very mysterious alien race that were so powerful that the line for them between magic and science had been completely blurred. So they're basically God Mm -hmm. and they showed up on their starships and and they looked at this planet and they said, this planet is perfect. This planet is what we're going to use for our magnum opus, which their design or their goal was to create a race that
1: could kill the Chaos God. By the way, just real quick to, to pause, because at this point, again, I don't know much about fantasy, like, at all. Sure. But this, this sounds like the kind of thing that was used for, um, for lack of a term, justification for the group of people who were like, 40K and fantasy are the same universe. I know that that's not really, like, a, a common thing anymore. Right, told, that's actually, but...
2: that's a super easy thing to address. So, in the OG times, when 40K was invented, 40K originally was the Warhammer Fantasy universe, but 40,000 years in the future. Oh, so that was
1: the case originally. Okay, right,
2: that. so that's how it started. And then, at some point in 40K's design, they started, they instead wanted 40K to be our world, but 40,000 years in the future. So, hmm. you know, like, the Emperor of Man... Like, if you read 40K lore, and you go back far enough, you'll see, like, actual historical figures, like Genghis Khan was, like, a cornate thing and all this other crap. Mm-hmm. But um basically what happened was they got to a point where they no longer wanted the universes to be together. Um they used to be linked. So originally it was oh 40K is just fantasy 40,000 years in the future. Then they changed it to no they the uh, fantasy is maybe a planet that exists somewhere in the 40K universe. Well um, that's the uh, you mentioned the old
1: ones. That's why I was like that sounds like a connecting piece. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, there's still and, some vestigial things like uh Ogrens being, you know, ogres, and the squats being space doors, and elves and Eldar being pretty much the same thing. Oh, yeah.
2: Like, you can absolutely see where they took everything in fantasy and said, okay, let's put it in 40k. And, like, a fun fact is that the Tyranids originally were not bugs. The Tyranids were originally lizards, and that's because they're literally the space lizardmen.
0: That wow. explains the, uh, Zotes. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, well. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know that.
2: So, like, because if you look up first or second edition Tyranids, they had a much different design philosophy. Um, and then eventually they migrated to space bugs that still have pseudo-reptilian, you know, designs.
1: I, I did always think they were pretty lizardy
2: for being called space bugs. Huh. Yeah, like, I, like, that's, I actually play Tyranids because I view them as space lizards. Like, I know technically they're supposed to be bugs, but they don't, they just, you know, if you don't have mandibles and you don't have, like, crazy bug eyes, I just, I see you as a
1: lizard. Well, <laughs> oh, you know, technically the definition of bug is like, a you know, a six-limbed exoskeleton thing, so it's like, t- there are chairs that don't have six limbs, so, yeah, but, um, but so, hey, uh, yeah, lizards. <laughs> yeah, so that's the big
2: thing there, is that the universes used to be connected, but once we got to, I want to say like 2005 or 2010, Games Workshop did a couple things that very deliberately completely separated the universe. That recently, huh? Yeah, because they used to be connected for a long time. In fact, probably the best story to explain this is that in the early 2000s, like somewhere in the ballpark of 2001 to 2003, there was a campaign called the the Shadows over Albion or the Albion Crisis, which was like a really big summer campaign for Warhammer Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the event, um, the races and it was like a, it was like an event where you would basically go online or report to your play at your local store and they would mail physically mail or um, email uh, Games Workshop headquarters about like who was winning and they kind of kept loose tabs on it and basically the races that did the best at the end of the campaign were given new magic items. But the gimmick was that all of the magic items were forty k items put in the fantasy universe. (laughs) (laughs) So like the dark elves got like so like the dark elves had like a power fist and like (laughs) the high elves had like a thunder a thunder hammer. Like it was super goofy Uh, and these weapons were like grotesquely overpowered because like some of them were guns. So it was like so it was like the I don't remember all the items. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody that's watching that might. But there were some really goofy things, like I, cause like the Power Fist was like a strength ten, ignores armor, deals d6 damage. Items you could just like one shot a dragon with it or something stupid. Um, but it was that's very a beautiful silly. visual. That's yeah. kind of uh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so they th- that's how connected they used to be.
0: Right. Um,
2: but then eventually they started taking fantasy and 40k much more seriously. Like the grim darkness became so grim dark it stopped being funny. Um, when we got into the late 2000s and that's when the universes were very forcefully separated um, to the point that you can't really compare the two anymore because they're so unrecognizable. Like a lot of people go, oh, the old ones are in both, but we know enough details about them in both universes that they're very different. in 40k yeah in 40k, the old ones were literally just the Slon that had become so powerful they had attained spiritual forms like they didn't have physical bodies. Whereas in fantasy, we know they have physical bodies because we have physical descriptions of what they looked like. And we have stories of them fighting on the planet. Um, Mm. So they were like actual, there was like a war god. And there was, and like each of them were individuals that we know details about. And they were more like human animal hybrid looking creatures. Okay. But, or in 40K, another good example is in 40K, we know the order of the chaos gods is. Korn Zinch, Nurgle, Slaanesh. The order in they appeared. And Slanesh, we know exactly when he showed up. The birth of Slaanesh being one of the most famous events mm-hmm. in 40k. Um, being when the Eye of Terror opened. In yeah. fantasy, that's not the case. In fantasy, the Dark Gods only came into existence after the Warhammer Fantasy world was founded. And their birth order was Korn Nurgle, Zinch, Slaanesh
1: instead. And- I wonder if that's why I constantly see that, that order, like both those orders in descriptions sorry continue yeah yeah and so that it just depends on what universe
2: that person's familiar with if you see Nurgle as the second born you know you're dealing with someone who knows the fantasy demons if you're dealing with Zinch as the second born you know you're dealing with 40k demons
1: oh cool I already learned something I mean I've learned several (laughs) things but this is (laughs) I'm going to use that yeah. Anyway. So anyway, back to fantasy. The yeah. Old ones seeded the planet to so said to make a perfect right. weapon.
2: So. So their goal was to. So chaos existed in a sense. It didn't have like individual gods yet. It didn't have a sense of individuality. It was just a force. Mm-hmm. Um. So the old ones they used the realm of chaos as their power source. Um. It was basically a realm of infinite energy. But that's all that existed there was energy, and the old ones used it to, it like, they would cut, they would design these huge star bases um, or these giant portals hanging in space above a planet to be kept in orbit, and these portals, when activated, would allow the old ones to travel light years instantaneously. So, like, we're not talking about faster than light travel, we're talking about something completely bigger than that. So these guys were, like, insanely powerful in advance. But the problem is, to use that, you literally were traveling through that realm, and every time they would travel through that realm, they kept disturbing what naturally occurred there. And eventually, it became vaguely sentient and started to attack them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I> <laughs> but like that. They, yeah, but they couldn't—they couldn't fight it on their own because they needed something that was grounded in reality um, and had emotions in order to fight it. Because, and we'll kind of get into why that in a minute. So they find this planet and they look at it and say, this is the perfect place for us to do our project. So the first thing they do is they build, start constructing their star, uh, stargates in orbit. They finish them so they can travel from wherever their actual empire is or wherever they're coming from to here. And they come down on the planet and they create the first of what we know as the Slon. And the, Slon, and the Lizardmen are broken up into four like races that make up the Lizardmen. And the first of these are the Slawn. The Slawn are these large toad-like creatures. That oh, isn't,
1: that a, isn't that a DD and d term as well for like large toad-like enemies called Slon?
2: Maybe, probably. I would <laughs> assume they stole it from D&D. That would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, continue. <laughs> but, uh, so the slon are, there are five generations of Slon. And the Slon are such insanely powerful creatures that they cannot be born. They have to be created deliberately by the old ones. And in the very first generation of Slon, there were only five. And one of them is the most powerful character in Warhammer Fantasy who's known as Lord Crook. Um, you might have seen him. He's the undead toad that a lot of people use in Total War Warhammer. But he's... he's
0: beat stick.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he's insanely powerful. And he's just, like, he's basically a god compared to a lot of other characters. But he's the first Slon that ever lived. And then there were four other, like, brothers, I guess you could call, of his. And these Slawn, their first mission was to move the planet. So these five Slawn, along with some help from the old ones, literally moved the Warhammer Fantasy planet closer to the sun in space. (laughs) They changed changed its orbit so that the planet would warm up. So the planet warms up, and jungles start growing all over the place. And back then, um, the world was basically Pangea. So there was one supercon.
1: By the way, I love that... This is an awful lot of sci-fi for something called fantasy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <I like
2: this. laughs> yeah. F- fantasy is not as pure fantasy as a lot of people like to think it is. Uh, or, or some people, like, may think based on its name. Like, there is – and that's the thing. is The old ones – Games Workshop tries to get away with it like by being like, oh, it's not super futuristic. They're just – they're so powerful that who knows if it was technology. Maybe it was just magic and it looked like technology. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. I don't but, uh,
1: like Stargates. So I think it's kind of hard to get around.
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> so they create the Slon, and when the world starts warming up, that deals with a significant amount of what we know as the undesirables, <laughs> which are <laughs> the creatures the old ones did not like. Uh, because, you know, this is an ancient planet, but there are a lot of very intelligent species already living here. Like, the dragons are very, very intelligent. And the dragons actually liked the old ones. Like, they held conversations with each other, the most ancient dragons.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but the old ones didn't like some of the other species, like the dragon ogres who are much more, um, uh, destructive and warlike and di- were like, you know, just aggressive monsters and bullies to be frank. <laughs> and so the old ones, um, kept creating, uh, generations of slan. There were only five in total, but each generation had like exceedingly more. So like the first generation only had five slan, but they're the strongest. The second generation, I want to say had somewhere between 20 to 50 slan and they were the second strongest, and then the third generation had, like, 500 Slon, fourth generation had, like, 5,000 Slon, like, you know, so on
1: and so forth. You know, um, this sounds, uh, I don't know what the right term for this is, but this sounds, at this point, completely like, hmm, how do we construct a set of things to fight in a game? Well, <laughs> they have these generations, and the strongest ones are the bosses, and the others are the minions. Uh, that's just yeah. what it sounds like to me. <laughs> so so there, there's a point,
2: you'll, you'll see where this is going here in a second. But um, so each of these Slon um, were basically created for a different task. So the first generation Slon, while they are the mass, like the biggest, baddest Slon, their overall mission was to move the planet. The second generation Slon were spawned to help create or to help uh, separate the planet or the continents away from each other. So instead of it being one supercontinent, the second generation slon were the ones that broke the planet up into the continents that we humans would now recognize
0: as our world. I love the power scale we're dealing with here, fucking moving planets and shattering continents. Oh yeah,
2: well and the slawn are very advanced compared to most wizards in Warhammer Fantasy. But uh, but so but before the second generation happened, um, the slawn started to uh, mess with they're like okay Now we have this planet, but we need to actually get rid of all the things we don't want. So they created the Saurus. So the Saurus are perfect war machines that are living. So they are these primordial reptiles. And basically the way the old ones would create a race, whether it's the Slon, the Saurus, or what we'll get into later, the old ones would basically look for races that already existed on the planet And they would basically genetically modify them and raise them up into being what they wanted them to be. Which worked well, but it did later introduce some flaws. So, like, the Slon are insanely powerful wizards that are immortal. And, like, they can't die unless an outside force kills them. But they're very sluggish. Um, They are very vulnerable to, uh, like, physical threats. And like they're very large, obese creatures that need protection. Like they have a lot of magical power, but if something were to get close to them, they'd be in trouble.
1: So, Side, yeah, sidebar: I don't know if uh, anyone out there knows like the first point in in uh, literature that someone wrote the idea of like an ancient race seeding. Life as we know it on various planets. I know the earliest one I know is the the Lensman series, but I'm just it's, it's curious to hear that kind of thing and be like, oh, I, I know some old older stuff that's probably pulling that from. It. Anyway, sorry. So um, the
2: Saurus were created as these perfect warriors. Like it's worth noting, lizardmen are not born. Lizardmen are spawned. So when so basically there are these large bodies of water around or underneath temple cities. Mm-hmm. And in these bottles of water, there are bar- there are like billions of these little tadpole things. And what will happen, uh, and they're like microscopic. So there's billions of these weird little tadpole creatures and these pools. Something will happen that will cause them to activate. And when they do, they will spawn a precise number of whatever species of lizardmen is needed. And these lizardmen will walk out fully grown to maturity, knowing exactly everything they need to know and ready for battle.
1: But does that mean that, like, the the little, the, the, the microscopic tadpoles, do they, like, do they operate, like, germs or something? Like, they're breeding, quote-unquote, by, like, splitting, and they only turn into Lizardmen when this, you know, this something happens in these pools?
2: Probably. Um, Games Workshop never really got that quite that detailed on it, so we don't know. Uh,
1: I was just curious where the, the tadpoles themselves come from. So. Yeah, it,
2: they. I would say there doesn't seem to be, like, the Lizardmen do not interact with the spawning pools, so there's nothing they have to put into it. They're perfectly self-sustaining systems. So I'm gonna I go with ass- their germs then. Yeah, <laughs> I would assume they're probably something like that. Okay. But um, so the Saurus were created to uh, what in known in what the lizardmen, a fan would know, is basically the wars of purging. So the Saurus went around the entire planet purging every race that the old ones considered undesirable. <laughs> wait, wait, this was <laughs> the boys. Oh, boy. the,
1: so, oh hold on. so this was this was the lizardmen? You say Saurus? Is that the same? Same thing? terminology was Yeah, so Saurus are one of the 4 subbreeds of Lizardmen.
0: Ah, okay, okay. So they go so out... Got, so now uh, we have
2: the Slawn and the Lizardmen. And
0: the, the,
2: the, we have the Slawn and the Saurus, which make up the Lizardmen. And the, we're not and quite the,
1: Yeah, and the Saurus proceed to start purging the world of non-Saurus right. life.
2: <laughs> Basically. So, okay. I mean, there are some species that are allowed to stay alive, like many natural creatures, like deer or... Like, like, all the natural animals are left alone, the dragons are left alone, um, but, like, the dragon ogres, there's this really horrific insectoid race um, that we only know as the sleeper. Um, there's um, a lot of other ancient primordial, like, a lot of really, hor- like, if you were to see one of the monsters they were wiping out, or one of the races they were wiping out, you'd probably be like, yeah, that seems okay. <laughs> like they weren't. They weren't nice things. They were we very
0: gotta soften that genocide. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, basically, they so they wiped out a lot of these races. And this is actually funny enough where the greenskins come into play. Um, of that, the old ones, um, the greenskins. Fun fact for fantasy fans are actually aliens. They're not natural creatures to the Warhammer Fantasy universe or mm-hmm. uh, planet, because when the old ones started bringing in all their starships after they constructed the gates and created the first of the Slon... They, very, they unknowingly had greenskin spores on the outside of their ships. So when they landed, these spores took root and the greenskin started cropping up across the warmer fantasy world.
1: And yeah, the they're were an invasive,
0: invasive species. They're an invasive species. Exactly. I was going to say,
1: that sounds like another thing that people would have been using as a, a, an argument for connection. Anyway,
0: we had it first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so orcs, greenskins, orcs, goblins, uh, squigs, all these. Fantasy, or all these green skin races get introduced to the planet, and the Saurus are charged with eradicating them. And the Saurus do manage to wipe out most of them, but green skins are notoriously tough to get rid of. Yeah, most and of it. <laughs> yeah, and basically they escaped into the deepest, darkest places in the world where the lizardmen couldn't follow them. Um, and they were able to survive by hanging out in the subterranean depths. So, but the so the Saurus got close but weren't able to finish the job, and so at this point, the the old ones look around the planet. They go, okay, great. Um, we've spawned some more slons. So now we've we've separated the continents. So now it's no longer one big supercontinent. And we've gotten rid of everything we don't want. And the slons are looking great. The saurors are there to protect them and fight their wars for them. So now we need to build an empire. So at this point, they spawn the skinks, and the skinks are the adorable, smallest form of lizardmen. Um, they're these little diminutive creatures. But where the Saurus are very powerful, mighty warriors that are born with an in- intrinsic knowledge of strategy, tactics, warfare, and all this stuff, the Saurus are also very limited that in anything that isn't warfare. Like, you would never want to ask a Saurus to do anything for you that did not involve killing or guarding something. Mm. Because they're either not going to understand or they're going to screw it up. So the Skinks which are much smaller, are also much more intelligent and a lot more um, agile and adept, or dexterous. So the skinks are masterful creators and are able to develop language, construction, art, crafting, civilization, farming. Like, they are, they build the Lizardman Empire. So they're all the artisans and the the architects and the they are the ones creating, like, uh, sh- all the war equipment, they're the ones uh, learning to dominate and train the natural c- creatures of the jungles, like the salamanders and the stegodons and the carnosaurs, which are like the T-Rexes, Stegosaurus, or sorry, Triceratops, uh, like all those ancient badass dinosaurs. The skinks yeah. are the ones that figure out how to basically raise them and use them in war. And so Elizabeth Empire is looking pretty good at this point. Uh, And it dominates the entire planet. The Lizardmen own everything. Anything and everything. Mm. And uh, they start building cities in all these really specific spots. The Old Ones looked at the planet and the way magic works is there's two kinds of magic in Warhammer Fantasy. There's natural magic that's generated by the planet itself and then there are the winds of magic which are something else that we'll get into in a little bit. So the first form of magic that Warhammer Fantasy knows of is geomancy and geomancy is literally wielding the power of the planet itself so like the natural energy given off by like the tectonic plates shifting or the the molten core of the planet just giving off lots of heat and energy the slawn are able to use that as magic so they use that to move the planet they use that to separate the continents they use that in all of their spells and that's what makes them like godlike because it's literally endless amounts of energy right so the Old Ones tell the Lizardmen, okay, so all of this magic comes out around the planet naturally in a bunch of really specific spots that basically covers the planet like a grid. So the Old Ones tell the Lizardmen to build a city on every nexus point on this grid. So there's a web covering the planet, and any point where two lines cross each other is a nexus. So the Lizardmen build some kind of city or outpost, or relic, or something on every single one of those points. That way, the Lizardman can harvest all of that magic, and it allows them to just do like truly absurd levels of magical feat.
0: Okay. So they
1: build that, and that's known as the geomantic web, which is really important. I believe that that, if I am uh, correct, stems from like actual uh, pagan belief systems of like ley lines. So yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're called ley lines. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they build the Ley Lines, and to help with the construction of these cities, because Sauris are not good at listening to non-violent base commands, (laughs) and skinks are too small, and... uh, Like, a skink... The average skink is as strong as the average human. Um, Like, they're not terribly impressive. So they say... So the Old Ones create the last version of Lizardman subspecies, which is known as the Croxagor. And the Croxagor are these huge, hulking monsters that are, like, the size of a troll. So they're, like, a little bigger than twice as tall as a man. Hold oh, on, yeah. wait, I think
1: I, I think I missed one, because I heard Saurus, Skinks, and now Croxigore. I thought, I thought there were four. Slon. Slon to the first. Oh, so, oh, Slon count as that. Okay. Yes. Okay.
2: So Sorry. now we have all four breeds of Lizardmen. The Slon, the Saurus, the Skinks, and the Croxigors. Okay. And the Croxagores are these big old hulking guys that they're smart enough to not <laughs> be seen. <laughs> Like, you know, they're smart enough that they can understand what's being said to them. They have a fairly limited vocabulary, but enough to get the point across. Like, they're not, you wouldn't describe them as stupid, but you would describe them as simple, you know?
0: Don't they have
2: to have their weapons chained to their hands? They do, but there's a reason for this. (laughs) Uh, Well, so this. This actually has to do with the flaw of the Lizardmen, which we'll get into in a hot second. So the Kroxgors, though, were designed to be the construction workers of the Lizardmen. They're designed to, like, do all the hard labor. Uh, and so they do. And the Lizardmen build this glorious empire that covers the entire planet. Job all done. Yay. Lizardmen did it. Now the real work begins. That was all just the setup. So the actual des- the actual design of the Lizardmen is the Lizardmen are the custodians of the planet. The Lizardmen are the- its natural guardians. They're the babysitters for the real important stuff. There, the entire point of the lizardmen was just to make the planet hospitable for what the old ones actually wanted to create. So, and and that also has a lot to do with why the lizardmen. A lot of people have a hard time, um, like, um, understanding some of their lore because they're noted as almost being like automatons. Like, they're not emotional. They're very like, like they have they have instincts like you would expect a reptilian monster to have. But they're very cold-blooded. They have no sense of love, loyalty, um, betrayal, self-interest. Like they don't have a lot of those complicated they're, feelings. Well, they're an
1: artificial species.
0: I mean,
2: Leanne, I guess they're, I guess
0: that's not... they're, yeah, they're like the perfect warrior race. You, they get you give them a job and they're going to go do that job until the job is achieved, or there's them left standing.
1: Right. Well, it's funny. is, to me this sounds like and I have a strange feeling that where you're going is actually going to be pretty similar to this, but. They sound like angels, in that you know they were yeah. created by the the great figures to as basically guardians for creation, uh, and the creation is something else, you know. So mm-hmm. big scaly
0: angels of death. Yeah, I like
1: that. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, like, I, I have a I have a, a feeling that this is going to go in similarly parallel directions here in a second. But continue.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, so sorry, I'm meeting. Sorry. <laughs> right. Anyway. So at this point, the Lizardmen, everything's great. Life is good. So the Old Ones rub their hands together and say, okay, time to get to work. And they create their first true species. And the, and the first thing they do is they ask the last generation of Slon, the fifth generation, to raise up an island in the middle of the ocean. So, and so this cradle of new life, this little crib for the very first babies the Old Ones are going to make... Is the the literally take this big chunk of continent of the ocean floor and they magically raise it up to the surface? So it's not. It's worth. It's important to note this for people that know about Othuan, which is what this Atlantis is called. Othuan is not in any way connected to the ocean floor. It literally is floating on the ocean.
1: You know, I've been watching a lot of Avatar recently, and now all I can do is envision a bunch of lizards doing hungar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Earth-bending lizards. Anyway, that's the mental image I'm never going to get rid of.
2: So so you have this big chunk of rock that is, uh, thanks to the salon and the old ones, it's made into a paradise. It's the Garden of Eden, essentially. Mm-hmm. Just a literal paradise, and it's beautiful and perfect and flawless. And here the Old Ones create their first race. Now, earlier I noted that there are two different kinds of magic, and that the Old Ones are like god tier at this... I call it geomancy, but if you were to wield it per, uh, just using the earth, then it's essentially geomancy, but you can use the energy of the earth to cast any form of magic, right? And the slaughter the true masters of this form of magic... Using the natural energy given off by the planet.
0: Okay.
2: Whereas the first race the old ones create, which are the elves. So the elves are created on Ulthawan, and their design was to be naturally bound and to have a very deep a spiritual connection to the other, to this realm of energy um, that the old ones use to travel and is where the old ones are being assaulted by this force known as chaos. So the elves are created with an intrinsic relationship to chaos and that they're able to wield it. And this form of magic, which is essentially the very essence of this realm of energy blowing across the planet, and it exists in many places, and it just kind of naturally blows throughout the cosmos, is known as the winds of magic. And it's called the winds of magic because if you could see it, which some wizards typically can through something called Second Sight, it literally would appear like a wind to most people. So that you see these wind of these strange colors. And so the Old Ones create the elves to have a fundamental relationship with chaos. However, that was a problem. And they realized what the problem is, is that by doing that, it gave the elves emotion. Um, And it made the elves... The elves are a very emotional And... Although they were designed to be incredibly long lived and they have perfect bodies that are very agile and swift <laughs> and they're very intelligent and all this other stuff and they're very tall and beautiful, they were arrogant. They were incredibly arrogant. That tracks with elves. <laughs> and even as the, even as the salon, the first of the salon, Lord Croc, was teaching the elves how to use magic and teaching them. They were perfect at magic. They were Magic was such a part of their being that it was like second nature to them. But the old ones were disturbed because they realized that at the core of the elves, because they were so naturally bound to magic, chaos was having an adverse effect on their design. It was changing them because mm. chaos, of course, is the very nature of change. And their emotions were leading them to be very arrogant, conceited, um superior uh focus so the old ones looked at them and said this isn't really what we wanted now the old ones are not evil they're they looked at the elves and say okay this isn't what we wanted but it's close so we're gonna leave the elves in Ulthuan and they're just gonna live their lives there and we'll let them build their empire because perhaps they could be useful tools but we're gonna just let them do their own thing and protect them but they're gonna stay in Ulthuan let's try again so this time they go to the, the, the mountains in the Southlands, which is basically Africa. They okay. go to this big mountain range there and they say, okay, we tried creating a race that had a very natural and fundamental bonding with magic. What if we created a race that was the exact opposite? So a race that's anathema to magic and it, it rejects them and they have no uh, relationship to it at all. So from the stuff of the mountains and some of the creatures there, they craft the dwarf. And the dwarfs of Warhammer Fantasy are so resistant to magic, um, the winds of magic, that it is literally toxic to them to an extent. Like if a dwarf tries to cast magic, if he loses control of it for even an instant, his body will literally turn to stone and he'll die. Wow. Um, like it's harsh. But... Uh, so the Old Ones create them from the very fabric of the mountains themselves so that they're naturally made of the earth. Because the earth grounds magic. It, like, renders it useless. So the dwarves are stocky, powerful, very, very tough. And the Old Ones uh, teach the very first of their kind, known as the Ancestor Gods, the secrets of rune crafting. So they teach them, okay, you can't channel magic through your bodies, but we'll teach you how to craft magic through smithing. And through rune carving, that way you're able to take the very winds of magic and bind them into a very distinct, exact shape known as runes. And the magic will do exactly what you tell it to, and you will be master craftsmen. And so the old ones teach them this, but they realize the dwarves are flawed. The dwarves, because they're formed of the very stuff of the earth itself, they are stubborn. They are so <laughs> stubborn, so so refusing and unwilling to change or admit wrong in any circumstance (laughs) they're so unwilling to alter their path once they set upon it the old ones realize well crap we screwed up again
0: well you know earth is a stubborn element (coughs) (coughs) (laughs) i like the doors the doors are perfect what are you talking about
2: So the old ones look at the dwarves and they say, okay, we still love you. You're still, you know, we still appreciate you and you will have the mountains. The mountains are yours for which you may delve and take whatever you want, which is fitting. But, you know, so the dwarves have all these issues of they're incredibly stubborn. They have kind of a unique form of arrogance, um, but they're kind of arrogant like the elves. And the dwarves also have a really nasty habit of something called gold greed, which is that they can literally fall into this mental illness that has to do, and it's a very nasty mental illness that there's not really a cure for. Where a dwarf will basically become so obsessed with gold and other like fine gems and riches that they just completely lose themselves to it, and that's all they care about to the point where they stop eating, they stop going out, and it'll eventually kill them. Oh, um, like it's like a really bad form of addiction, essentially. So the old ones look at that and they go, ah, "Okay, not great." <laughs>
1: Fafnir.
2: Oh no, sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, and so at this point the old ones start to work on humanity. Humanity is meant to be kind of the uh, the 50-50. So they're like, okay, yeah. we went too far with the elves and we didn't and we went too far with the dwarves, so let's try and split the different. Let's try and create something that's more along that. And there are some other minor races the old ones created along the way for, like, particular tasks. Experimentation. um, You know, like, either they were created to perform a very specific function for the planet itself, or they were, like, a rogue experiment that one of the other old ones, like, individually was doing, but they weren't able to amount to much. Like, they created the Sky Titan, which the Sky Titans are, like, what a giant is to us, a Sky Titan is to a giant. And they were, like, master tinkerers and engineers and could, like, wield the very uh, essence of blizzards and, like, immense storms. But they lived up in these really, really high peaks that are basically the Himalayas. So, like, the highest peaks in the world. Hmm. And they just minded their own business up there. They're very isolationist. But anyway, so all these other little things happen. But the old ones start to work on humanity, and this is where the real problem happens. At the old ones did not fundamentally understand the nature of chaos, which is why they kept goofing up in their creation because they didn't understand emotion. The problem with chaos is chaos is literally the very fabric of consciousness. It's the very energy of what goes through a living being that has uh, sapience. So the ability to feel. And so every time they were creating a race, they were accidentally introducing more power and more turmoil into this other realm of pure energy. So when they were creating the races, although they had good intentions, things started to happen. So like while they're, while the Saurus are waging all of these wars and they're creating all these races with intense emotions, the, the, the emotion of rage is introduced into the universe and rage are these are the world and you have rage and bloodshed and violence and death and all of this anger and hatred and wrath starts to coalesce and take form in this realm of chaos until it it gives birth to corn. So corn is the first of the chaos gods born into existence as the god of rage and wrath and violence and battle and bloodshed. And then.
1: So, so correct me, right? Just this whole time while this is going on, the, uh, the lizard men are just just doing their job. They're just custodians. Yeah. They're just watching everything. The Lizardmen are and like, completely
2: unaware. The Lizardmen okay. are just, the Lizardmen are protecting the new races. They're hunting down and battling great, powerful monsters that are showing up occasionally. So, like, you know, while Oldowan is a safe place, occasionally some massive primordial kraken might come tearing out of the ocean to attack them. So, at, at this point,
1: how, how, does, how does the elves, the dwarves, and humanity see the Lizardmen at this point in the story? We don't
2: know because they don't remember. Oh,
1: all right.
2: Uh, and we'll get to why. There's there's a big thing that's about to happen. Okay. So so And it's worth noting that the Lizardmen pulled away from them once they became self-sufficient. So once the Elves were okay and they had a civilization going, they've established the very first of what we know as the Ever Queens, um, which is like their religious leader um, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Once the Old Ones were like, okay, this isn't what we wanted, we'll leave them to live but we're not going to work on them anymore. The Lizardmen would leave. Okay. So they didn't really know the Lizardmen at that point anymore.
0: You know, they, okay. they
2: they created the dwarves in Karak Zorn, which was very close to a bunch of Lizardmen fortresses, and the Lizardmen guarded them from the jungles. But once the once the uh, old ones were like, nope, this isn't what we wanted, the ancestor gods and the dwarves started to expand northwards, and the Lizardmen were like, okay, they're on their own now. All right. And And so you have all this stuff happening. And, and this is taking the course over thousands and thousands of years. Like, of the, old ones, the old ones can't just snap their fingers and create new life. It takes them time um, to basically, like, evolve something up. So they've started to work on humanity. And they're making okay progress. Like, they've created the first of humanity in this, uh, in, like, the Middle East equivalent of mm-hmm. our world. No, and these people would come on to be known as the Nehekarans. The cradle they're the, of civilization? Yeah, they're the, yeah, yeah, so yeah, they're the cradle of civilization. But humans are being created all over the planet. Some of the old ones are working on them over in what's known later as Cathay, which is China. Some are working on them up in the old world, which is like Europe. But the first ones that they finished were the Nehekarans. The rest were more like caveman status when what's about to happen happens. Mm-hmm. So corn comes into existence fighting uh, the old ones who are fighting the inside the realm of chaos, even as they're using it, start to realize that suddenly the things in chaos have, have an identity. Now they're being attacked by demons. They're being attacked by literal manifestations of the nightmares of the creatures they're creating. So like the shape a demon takes when it comes into reality, like a bloodthirster or a bloodletter, that's not what they actually look like. That's just what, the nightmares or the imagination of the beings on the physical plate of existence imagine them to look like. So they're bound to those four. They're, right. they're literally your imagination weaponized against you. So right. rage gives birth to core. And then as the world continues to turn and all this stuff keeps happening, the next emotion that becomes so big that it manifests into a god is despair. And despair, plague disease as warm-blooded life and civilization continues to spread and they have to deal with all these natural phenomena such as death decay disease despair that gives birth to nurgle the god of, of plague of despair, those things <laughs> and yeah all that then the next emotion is warm-blooded life continues to expand and now it's starting to multiply there's starting to be a lot of people born a lot of elves born a lot of dwarves born a lot of humans born their nations are expanding the elves have conquered all of Ulthuan. The dwarves have conquered most of the world's edge mountains. Humanity has uh, started up in the uh, the cradle of life that would be known as Nehekara <laughs> later on. And humans I are bringing that
0: elsewhere. Elves, they got a whole continent themselves. Dwarves, they've taken everything. Humans, hey, we got a city. Good for us.
2: But <laughs> Nehekara is like, a, it's like the entire entirety of the middle east like it's pretty big
0: i know but it's still just like you know we're we're, we're doing okay we're third born we've yeah, got yeah. a we've got a sizable empire they're,
2: they're, they're little babies they're little babies <laughs> they're, they're still they're still like just out of the crib they're cro- like most humans are not even human at this point they're like what will become human um that's
0: that's very uh, uh, telltale of the fantasy universe Dwarves and I was looking He was like, oh, look at him He thinks he's people
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty common among fa-
0: In fantasies So
2: so the next emotion that gets really big Is hope Hope and the desire for change That creates Zinch Who's the god of hope, magic, change All that stuff And then the last one As civilization is actually established By the elves and the dwarves Is the god of pleasure The god of obsession The god of excess Slanesh, which excess is probably the main, I would say uh, Slanesh is mostly the god of excess, but he's also the god of pain, pleasure, music, arts, you know, all that other crazy shit. So all four of the chaos gods are now born into existence. And with all four chaos gods, chaos becomes very organized and very like structured. And it actually, the old ones realize, uh oh. (laughs)
1: Like, this. (laughs) Do they still, in in Warhammer Fantasy, do they still engage in the great game?
2: Yes. So they're also fighting each other constantly because chaos is madness and madness attacks itself endlessly. But even while it's fighting itself, it's also a threat to you just because their power is basically infinite to some understandings. So the old ones are fighting chaos in its own realm, right? So the old ones aren't like trying to fight chaos in the physical realm where you can actually stab a demon and it goes away. Um, they're finding them in the realm of chaos where they are endless. They are legion. They are, they are the very air you're breathing. And the old ones loot. And we get what's known as the Great Catastrophe. And the Great Catastrophe is roughly, uh, I want to say it's like 20,000 to 15,000 years before the modern age of Warhammer fantasy. The Lizardmen are, the Lizardmen are aware something's wrong. Um, yeah, I know all this talking. We're finally back to the
1: actual Lizardman. Uh,
0: I was about to say, <laughs> this has been so really really like a great we, we, primer for yeah. fantasy.
1: I, I think that's fine because you're you're our first guest on on this particular subsection of Geeks of Grimdark to talk fantasy. So I think giving this kind of general primer is actually pretty pretty good. <laughs> okay, good.
2: Oh, and I I should also note that like in the last second, there were a couple of old ones who created the ogres in the far east, and in the west, a single old one started creating the halfling. We're not exactly sure what the goal was with the ogres and halflings. But (laughs) I do think
0: they're neat. Okay,
2: he he wanted more breakfasts. The only thing we know about them is they they actually had amazing potential. Because the thing about the ogres and the halflings is that they were the only race ever races ever created that were resistant to chaos. So they weren't resistant to magic. They were resistant to chaos specifically, which was a huge leap forward in the
1: Old One's development of a species. I mean, hey um, man, when, when your life mostly consists of, of sitting around smoking and eating, uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, dry <laughs> out oh. that thorn can offer you. So, but,
2: unfortunately, it was too late. And they also created the gnomes in there, which Warhammer gnomes are actually very scary. Um, Wait, compared-
0: there's gnomes in Warhammer?
2: There are, but they're exceedingly rare, uh, because most of them died off. But Aww. they are very, very scary. They are not nice. Um, um, like, they are technically a good guy race, but the only wind of magic they're able to wield effectively is either shadow magic, necromancy, or dark magic, um, and that they is... are they are sinister little bastards.
1: That is a quick a quick little question. Um, I've seen several content creators uh, recently, and I've I've come to adopt this myself. Um, Mention that like in 40k, there really aren't good guys. Everyone is some flavor of evil. It's just kind of a sliding scale. Right. So oh. so does that is that transfer over to Warhammer Fantasy, or are there more, like, legit, like, we are good people kind of races? In,
2: in Fantasy, there are good people, and there are good groups. But it, I, would, I would say that there are races that you would call the good guys, but you would always put an asterisk next to them. Okay. They're, they're not, like, comically evil, despite being the so-called good guys, like the Imperium of Man is.
1: Yeah, the Imperium's like mid- to high-tier evil, even though it's it's man. So. Yeah, like, but there
2: are good guys. There are people who try to do the right thing, and they're trying to save the world, and they're trying to protect others, but they're like douchebags about it.
1: But they're still you're, you're, trying. You're, yeah, because your description of the uh, the Lizardmen so far strikes me as a true neutral kind of race. Yeah. So, with, yeah. yeah, the Lizardmen
2: are what I call true order like they're they're against anathema and they are they're purely focused on restoring the great plan which we'll get to in a hot second okay. but they they have no sense of morals so like if the lizardmen are like okay like the lizardmen have a rule they're trying to do right now in modern fantasy where the lizardmen think that if they can restore the planet to a certain point it'll fix everything um and so to them they think okay all the elves must be on ultawan all of humanity must be in the old world and all of the dwarves must be in the world's edge mountains. Like, the, all of the races that the old ones created have to go back to where they were supposed to be. That is and, a
1: fascinating goal.
2: <laughs> yeah, and but, but the Lizardmen, being true order and not good, they would say, anyone who will not comply will be forced, and anyone who does not move once they are forced will die. So, like, if the Lizardmen walk up to you and you're an orphan that's missing a leg and you're like i can't cross the ocean i don't have a boat those of are like kill him like he's he, if he can't do what must be done kill them no mercy and they don't like they don't have a sense of guilt because to them it's just doing their job
1: that's <coughs> the uh, automaton word we were using earlier yeah
2: yeah and it's like men do feel emotions like hatred fear and stuff like that it's just they tend not to feel it unless it's like really extreme You know, they don't have, like, subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so the Old Ones are... The Lizardmen realize something's going on. And the reason they know this is because the Old Ones are basically panicking. And the Old Ones are, like, they're all taking off in their ships. And they're going into the Realm of Chaos to fight. And they're basically telling the Lizardmen, like, we... Some of the Old Ones who are staying behind basically get a bunch of gold together like a massive like we're talking like billions of pounds of gold practically uh and they're using it to write plaques and these plaques are basically the old ones just spamming out prophecies trying ah. to tell the userman everything that's about to happen because the old ones so have to
0: take off for the weekend so we <laughs> yeah. money for the babysitter and right so here's the old the instructions
2: ones, yeah so the old ones have precognition they're able to see the future um but, the old ones understand that seeing the future is not it is a art, not a science, and that there are many futures. And trying to divine the exactly correct one is tricky. So the old ones are basically like mass, produ- like mass typing as fast as they can, a billion words per minute on the sacred plaques in a language the Lizardmen understand. They're trying to tell the Lizardmen everything that's going to happen, everything they need to know. They're trying to warn, okay, we're going to give you a spotting of this. At this point, this is going to happen. You have to do this. You need to be at this place when this happens. When this moon is at this point in the star on this cycle of the world, you need to go here. Like, they're trying to tell the Lizardmen everything that's going to happen and record it for all of them so they can reference it. And they finish it, and just as they finish... The apocalypse happens. So basically the old ones in the Warp get completely... Or the Realm of Chaos... Sorry, it's the Warp if you're 40k. We don't call it the Warp (laughs) in fantasy. But the Realm of Chaos gets completely annihilated by the Demons of Chaos and the gods. And there's so much power, there's so much energy due to the Chaos Gods reaching like the height of their power and overwhelming the Old Ones, because they're feeding on the very violence the Old Ones are using to combat them. They get mm-hmm. so powerful that the Polar Gates, because there's one at the North Pole and one at the South Pole, they get completely overwhelmed and they detonate. So they they literally implode. Like The Realm of Chaos creates this sucking vacuum that rips the very metal into it and it blows up. And all of the Old Ones die. Every single old one was fighting. Every single old one was at a polar gate or was in there fighting the Demons of Chaos and they're completely wiped out. Um, So the old ones all die in an instant. And both of the polar gates explode and then fall uh, because they're pulled by the planet's gravity. And one impacts at the southern polar gate and the other one impacts at the northern polar gate. And it unleashes this horrifying wave of madness, death, and destruction, and this giant, like, thunderclap of magic. So, like, you ever seen, like, a big bomb go off or a big explosion? You know that shockwave that, like, pushes the clouds apart? Yeah. yep. It's it's like that, but it's made out of magic. And it hits <laughs> the planet. And the slons see it coming. Like, they're aware of what's about to happen. They're like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> they they see this thing coming for them, and if it hits the planet, it'll literally just wipe it out. So the slan roughly half of the slon die in an instant just by blocking this. So they all, like, use their magic to throw up a barrier around the planet and dispel this magic that's about to hit them, and they succeed enough that the planet isn't destroyed. But half the slon, just the mental exertion of doing it, it literally just explodes their brains and they die instantly. And now the Realm of Chaos has manifested on the physical planet. These giant, hulking pieces of metal have been so distorted and corrupted by magic that they tear an actual hole open in reality and the demons of chaos come pouring out in their billions. So the demons of chaos flood the entire planet from the north and the south pole and there is so much magic and chaos in the atmosphere that it all coalesces and creates a second moon that's made purely out of warp stone. And warpstone is literally just dark magic and there's so much of it. And it's compressed so tightly that it turns into a physical element. And it's basically like uranium. Like it's radioactive. So it's very, very powerful if you know how to use it. But it's also incredibly deadly to your health to be anywhere near it. And it'll, <laughs> it'll it'll, mutate the fuck out of you um, if you, like, pick it up or something. But now there's an entire second. Parallels. There's an entire moon created out of it. So, like, you can Google the moon Morselib, which is M-O-R-R-L, uh, or m o r. M O R R S L I B E B. That's the Chaos Moon, Morslip. Because originally in the Warhammer world, there was only one planet, known as Manslib, and Manslib is the regular moon, our moon. Um, the Chaos Moon is a second one that's green and very bad. So Morslip's born into existence, and the demons and their billions invade the planet, and the lizardmen are ready. Like they knew, they saw it coming. Not a lot of time. Like they maybe had months or days to see what was coming but they saw it so when the demons invade the mortal realm the demons are not what we know them as now they're kind of more they're kind of a little more all over the place they're not like like they probably didn't have good designs like yeah they
0: were
2: they were very motley you know like i think they have that design as well in 40k where like the original demons were like all undivided and they were kind of weird looking
0: um, oh, yeah, compared, they do a lot in 40k. It's a lot of uh, the things of your nightmares. There's no set forms. Lots of teeth and eyes and other Right, so those
2: those are like the OG demons. Those are the ones that come out of the gates. Um, because they're literally just the nightmares of humanity, elves, dwarves, and all that stuff may manifest. Now, the Lizardmen don't create demons. Like, the Lizardmen, they don't have emotions. They don't feed into it. So to them, this stuff is just anathema. Like, it is like their dead opposite- um, where the lizardmen are like pure beings of flesh and blood with no emotions, and they don't have a relationship to the winds of magic or chaos. The demons are just it given form. So these two clap together in the largest war in Warhammer Fantasy history, because we know they're like we know the lizardmen armies literally numbered in the billions. Like so, you had billions of Saurus going up against billions of demons. With the slawn casting spells where they're making fire rain from the sky, rivers are flowing backwards, the earth's being ripped open, skinks are unleashing ancient primordial dinosaurs to battle with demons the size of skyscrapers. Like it's madness.
0: Uh, Can we need a fan say. film of that, somebody? <laughs> uh, like, and so, uh, contact guys at Blizzard that did those Diablo trailers. I want to see this <laughs> with animation. So,
2: so, and the Lizardmen are trying to protect the younger ones, right? Because to the lizardmen, they're the most important thing in the universe. You know, the elves, the dwarves, humanity. So basically, the, the TLDR I'll say, in the interest of getting a little answering some maybe specific questions, is that the Lizardmen fight the demons in a war that lasts for thousands of years. But slowly they lose. Because the demons have no end. Like the demon, if you kill a demon. You don't kill it. You just destroy its physical form, and it's cast back to the Realm of Chaos to remake its physical form, and then it can just manifest again. Um, So long as there's enough magic in the physical plane to sustain them. But at this point, there's so much magic that they can literally pop up almost anywhere unimpeded. So they have this epic war, and the Lizardmen are eventually basically wiped out. Almost. So the Lizardmen go from having an empire that spans the entire planet to barely surviving in a literal handful of cities scattered across South America and um, Africa, which are known as Lustria and the Southlands. And they basically, at that point, they are forced to abandon the younger races because they just can't get there anymore Um, because they're cut off and they're basically surrounded by like tides of living flesh trying to kill them. (laughs) Um, And they're just fighting back to back against this endless tide of demons and so the dwarves and the elves end up having to fight on their own. And for them, it's, like, wild. But the elves end up bringing the end of the war because they create something called the vortex, which is actually the main uh, component if you have played Total War Warhammer 2 and you watch, like, the startup cinematic for it. Um, that's the vortex. And it's the whole focus of Total War Warhammer 2. It's this giant whirlpool in the sky that... What the Elves did is they very cleverly realized that the Winds of Magic were allowing the demons to take form. Because they have such a good relationship with it, they're able to manipulate it a lot more reliably than the Slon could. So what the Elves did is they basically created a whirlpool or a vacuum that sucks up all of the Winds of Magic in the world and just shoots it out into space harmlessly. So... Basically, they sucked all almost all of the magic out of the planet, so or or out of the wind or uh, out of the air. So the demons no longer could physically manifest except for at the north and south pole. So the demons were defeated, and the Warhammer fantasy timeline begins <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right I, it's it's uh, so so the elves basically, if I'm understanding this correctly, like, they kind of saved the world from... Yes, the
2: elves, the elves did save the world. Though I'm sure it's going
1: to help with their arrogance problem.
2: So. Uh, they, they lean very heavily on that one particular accomplishment, I say. <laughs> uh, But it's worth noting that all of the dwarves and the Lizardmen played into that much more than the elves realize. Um, they're Like, the dwarves, one of the dwarves' gods, a god named Grimnir, who was their god of battle, he was... he's just a badass. He literally took two axes... And he was so pissed at Chaos, he's like, he told the other two gods, which are Grugni and Valleja, which Grugni is his brother, and Valleja is their wife? <laughs> Gr- Technically, she's Grugni's wife, but Grimnir also fathered children through her. It's complicated. God, but, um, okay. <laughs> you know, typical weird Pantheon crap. But <laughs> Grimnir tells the two of them, okay, I'm sick of this Chaos garbage, and the elves, because the dwarves and the elves had met by this point, and were, like, fighting side by side with each other. Um, and all this stuff. And Grimnir tells the other two ancestor gods, okay, this one elf dude told me the demons are coming from the north, so I'm going to take my axes, I'm going to go kick the shit my way north until I find him and kill him. Hmm. Um So Grimnir literally marches to the north pole, to the very gate of chaos itself, the very gates of hell, and he single-handedly starts fighting them in their billions and is holding the gate shut because they can't get past him um so just he's push like him over already I'm yeah so, like, he's just butchering like thousands of demons and the dark gods are like crap <laughs> i can't get through this guy <laughs> while the elves are casting their big ritual meanwhile the lizard men are also having this big thing where probably the cleverest demon was a demon by the name of kairos fate weaver because he can see the future and the past but he can't see the present which is like his only weakness um So Kairos is this really scary demon. He has two heads. One head sees the future. One head sees the past, but he can't, he never knows what's happening at this exact moment in time. And that ends up being used against him by the Lizardmen because one of his, his future head finally figures out what the elves are going to do. And he goes, Oh shit. If the elves pull this off, we're boned. So (laughs) he calls all of the demons in Lustria who are attacking the Lizardmen to go attack Ulthuan and the Lizardmen realize what's about to happen. So the Slon go, Nope. And they throw this big bubble. So the demons can't get out. Um, so Kairos and his legions get trapped in Lustria fighting the Lizardmen. Um, so Lizardmen finally get to go on the offense for the first time in like two or three thousand years. By that point, point. Um, and the Elves manage to get off the ritual, and the world is saved until it isn't. Uh, Fifteen thousand years later, <laughs> but that's a story for another time.
1: Oh, all right. I mean, I'm glad to have this primer because, like I said, we're going to be doing more Warhammer Fantasy and like AOS stuff going yeah, forward. I mean,
2: if if people so, listening want me to
1: come
0: back and continue the story, then you got to let these guys know, man. Oh, I think we're doing this a two-parter. I think we got to bring you back to just dive into lizard men. Yeah, because I like <laughs> that was an yeah, that was an amazing conversation. Yeah. Well, it was more like, I mean, we were more like listen. Well, I was learning.
1: That's what I was. That le- was a great so,
0: lecture. I thought yeah. that.
1: You know what? Uh, we, you talked earlier about being like the
0: the video of Warhammer Fantasy. Well, it's working for me. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're definitely bringing you back for a part 2 just to talk lizardmen and kind of touch on everything else. But I think that I didn't think we needed a primer on Warhammer Fantasy, but that that was that this is our perfect primer.
2: <laughs> right, I will say that's why I always love talking to 40K people personally because I think for a lot of 40K people, they think fantasy either doesn't have a really long like a lot of people are familiar with the Horus Heresy and like all this epic stuff that leads up to 40K, and I think a lot of people don't think fantasy really has that, and it totally does. Well,
0: well you fantasy know what's funny? To as, as a... told so many times.
1: Well, me personally, right, as a 40K person <laughs> who doesn't know anything about fantasy, I didn't think it didn't have that. I just thought it was different than what you just explained. Like I didn't expect that level of science fiction. Oh yeah, in it's
2: it. it's very <laughs> sci-fi.
1: Yeah, so that's that's really neat. And hmm. I want to see that put to film now. Well, I want to see <laughs> most of the Games Workshop stuff put hey, to film at some point. So hey,
2: That's what that's what I'm excited for Total War Warhammer 3. Total War Warhammer 3 is going to have Demons of Chaos as one of the starting races. And all the starting races get like a super sexy CGI trailer to announce the game. I'm so excited oh, for that trailer. You know, my, my buddy,
1: yeah, for my birthday, a friend of mine actually bought me to, uh, War, Total War 1 and 2. I haven't gotten around playing them yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome
2: games, dude. But they are. They are very fun.
1: Okay, well, you know, uh, I think, uh, unless you have... Well, okay, let's put it this way. for We're going to call this a primer now, and if that's the case, do you have any concluding thoughts, Sotek?
2: Um, I would say that if you are someone that doesn't know about Warhammer Fantasy, but this sounds like something you'd like to know about, now is the perfect time to get started. Because Games Workshop mostly due to the success of the total war warhammer series but also just a couple other things warhammer fantasy is being brought back so it's being returned and it's going to be coming out i think in two or three years it's looking like um maybe next year but probably two or three years but Warhammer fantasy is coming back and it's actually being further expanded than it was but due to popular demand it's no
1: longer a dead universe yeah, I was about to say, are they going to run it concurrent with AOS
2: then? So AOS, they what they have publicly stated is what Horus Heresy is to 40k oh, like, said, yeah. is going to be what fantasy is to AOS. So they will, they're, you know, the universes are undeniably connected. There is a history there, but they'll be developing the gameplay and the models and everything separately. That makes sense.
0: And we are 100% picking your brain on the fate of the Lizardmen in the new Warhammer Fantasy when we bring you back? Because I want to know, considering what we've seen thus far, what you think they're going to do and what you'd like to see them do.
2: Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, the only thing we've seen so far is Kislev, which is Warhammer's version of Russia. And I'm so excited they're bringing Kislev back. <laughs> they, have, they have polar bear calves. They have little yes, and it's, it's giant bears in armor that they ride like horses.
1: I love polar bears, <laughs> so that works perfectly for me. <laughs> All right, man. Then uh, at this point, uh, we give you a, an extra big soapbox to get on, it's where you can plug anything you want to plug.
2: Uh I. The only thing I'll plug is I'll say that if you want to learn more about Warhammer Fantasy, then come check out my YouTube channel, uh, Loremaster of Um I also do very in-depth Q and A series. Like we just finished a. I just. Uh, I guess this would be the best plug. I just finished a Q and A series on the Ogre Kingdoms, where I basically last allowed everyone to ask whatever questions they wanted about the ogres for like two weeks or a week or two weeks and i basically answered all of them so it's a 15 part series where every episode is a minimum of 30 minutes but most of them go up to 45 or minutes or an hour um so if you want like over six hours of ogre kingdoms lore there you go
1: all right well, as uh, as Ulrich stated, we are um, definitely going to have to have you back on when time allows for you uh, to continue. Because I I still have like a bunch of more contemporary lizard man questions that we don't have time for right now. So you know, <laughs> we will there will be a part two.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I can't wait! I'm very excited. I love right. talking about it. It, bring, it brings <laughs> me joy.
1: Well, thank you very much for coming on and talking
0: with us about it. So <laughs>
2: hey, anytime, my dudes. I love coming by.
0: All right, Ulrich, you want to take us out? Yes, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things, because we're going to keep saying this until we don't say it anymore. This is a test-run podcast. The What will determine if we do a season two or continue this is the support. If you like this, if you want more of this, we need to see the numbers, because then we'll go, hey, they like this, let's do more of this. Because I personally, I want to pick Sotex brain about all of the fantasy stuff, but we can't do that if there's no support for season one. And whatever platform
1: you're currently listening to this on, thank you for doing that. I try my hardest not to make this part of the outro sound like repeated and the same thing, but there's only so many ways I can mix up these same concepts. I'm trying, guys. Anyway, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If there's one you'd want us to be on that's not in that list, tell us what it is so we can look into it.
0: As always, this has been the Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Until next time, may the dice roll in your favor.